just before we get started, I want to say I've gotten a lot of good feedback about this season uh, so far. They're, they're very excited. When the pod drops, I get a lot of immediate feedback. They listen to it immediately, and they, uh, they send their feedback to me. So I, I, I think we're, we're, we have a hit on our hands here. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Finally, in season three, we break through, you know? It takes a couple seasons to kind of find your, your footing, you it know does. what I mean? And yeah. I feel like we, now, we know what we're doing. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Cheap Talk. My name is Jeff Kaplow. I'm an assistant professor of government here at William & Mary. And joining me, as always, is my esteemed colleague, Marcus Holmes. Hi, Marcus. Hi, Professor Kaplow. How you doing? Uh, you want to talk about chess? I would love to talk about chess. You might, you might know this, Jeff, uh, excuse me, Professor Kaplow, that when the pandemic hit... You can call me Jeff. I, it's okay. <laughs> I can call you Jeff? Oh, you can call me you. Jeff, yeah. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. <laughs> when, when the pandemic hit, uh, everybody was forced inside, couldn't interact. You know, everybody listening to this is, uh, know, knows about the pandemic. And so online chess uh, really took off because people are like, there's nothing else to do. At the same time, the Netflix series, uh, The Queen's Gambit. Excellent, had, had, excellent show. Had come out, right? So you can, it was like a perfect storm. Like you have this good sort of Netflix streaming television show, which is very well done. And it makes chess seem like sexy and cool. Plus, you have the pandemic hit, and no one can do anything. And so people are like... L-. I started playing Sudoku, which, you know... Oh, well, yeah, Sudoku. I, I, I'm not smart enough for Sudoku. It's like the thinking man's chess, I like exactly. to say. Exactly, exactly. Stupid people play chess, but Sudoku <laughs> is for, like, the geniuses out there. So I don't play, I don't play Sudoku. So anyway, so, so I got into chess around the, the time of the pandemic, like everybody else. Like, and, I, and I started following, like... Uh, uh, GMs on Twitch, like they would stream like their games, and they would like help people out with like. Let's... And GMs, I should say, for the audience is Grandmaster. Oh, Grandmaster, yeah. So GM is a Grandmaster, sort of like an honorary title. I'm going to translate your chess, your chess lingo. That has a very specific uh, uh, method in which you you become a Grandmaster, and it is not easy. One of the fascinating things, though, about about chess is that the the, the people who are good at it um, are often extremely young. And so, like, you have these chess, the grandmasters are out, out there at, like, you know, 11 years old, 12 years old, 13 years old. And these, these kids will routinely beat, you know, like, top grandmasters from, like, you know, the 1990s or the 2000s or even, like, the modern, you know, grandmasters. They'll get beaten by, like, an 11-year-old that comes around. So there's something about, about chess that it is very appealing to me in the sense that I, I look at it and I see this game that, for some reason, some people just look at. And like understand, like there's something about it where they look at the chessboard and they just like get it and everything clicks and they're like a they're a GM kind of like immediately. All right, so so let me let me stop you there because I think people are going to be really interested in your in your journey here. <laughs> and a journey it has been. Were you one of those ten, eleven year olds playing chess? Did you was this your first experience with chess during the pandemic? No, 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 no. So when I was little. Uh, my, my dad, uh, got a chess set. Like we had a chess board, like hanging around or whatever. He taught us how to play. He taught me, me and my brother how to play. Um, but like at a very basic level, like I knew, I knew how the pieces move. Right. And honestly with chess, like that's actually the biggest thing. It's just like learning, like learning how to play, how to like play a game is actually very difficult because it is, it's confusing and the pieces all move in weird ways and there's all these rules and stuff like that. So I knew all that because I had been taught as a child. But I hadn't played chess in probably 
30 years or something. Wow. You know what okay. I mean? Like, not to date myself how old I am. But, yeah, it's been a very long time before. Oh, you're old. You're very old. I'm very old. I'm yeah. very old. And I would see people play chess in the pre-pandemic, pre-COVID times. And I thought to myself, like, ah, maybe I'll get into that one day or whatever. And, but, but I never took that step. And then when the pandemic hits, I take that step and I was hooked, like, immediately. But no, I have no, I have no, to answer your question, I have no talent whatsoever. And then, so that was, that was my point before you interrupted me. That was what I was going to say. So, like, so for some reason, this game, people look at it, some people, and they see the board and, they, and it just clicks and they know exactly what to do, almost without any kind of training at all. Whereas knuckleheads like me look at this board and I study it and I read about openings and I read about chess theory and I, and I, re- I study the math of it and I learn all the like different combinations and stuff like that. And I, and I'm basically no better today than I was like in 2020 when I started, I'm a little bit better, but in terms of like, you know, young grandmasters who are like 11 and 12, like their trajectory and my trajectory look nothing alike. And I just at a very fundamental kind of brute level, I find that's fascinating. I think it's interesting that there's a game out there that some people just like understand or are good at like immediately. And for the rest of us take years and years and years to even develop like a, a little bit of competence, just a little bit of competence takes years. So I'm going to let you continue your, your chess talk. So I'm not, I don't want to interrupt you too much, Yeah. but I, I would like to just verify, is there an international relations angle at the end of this story somewhere? I'm going to try to create one. Okay. Um, I'm going to, for the listener, this is not an episode where we're going to be talking about like strategic ambiguity and what Biden said and what Putin's doing and this, the, 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 it's tangentially related, I would say, to what's going on in international relations. Now, I think there's a lot to say about chess in the Cold War. We can, we can touch on that because that was actually very interesting. And a lot of the, the sort of high profile moments in the, in, in 20th century chess took place between Americans and the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union uh, in chess had this long history. Lenin liked to play chess. Like, basically, it was, it was one of these, like, you know, games that was, like, their national pastime. Kids learned how to play chess in, in elementary school. Like, it was just, like, a really big deal. So then Bobby Fischer comes along. I'm getting ahead of myself here. But Bobby Fischer comes along and beats them, and it's, like, this, this major, major event, right? So there are historical international relations like moments that we could talk about. But I think in the present, there's also something interesting going on, which I will get to eventually. So no, this isn't your normal pod episode. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of a diversion into, into a tangential area of international politics, but I think it'll be an interesting discussion. All right, let's do it. So I actually, I mean, do you want to talk about current events? Because I did see, I'm not a big chess I don't follow what's going on in the chess world. You, you know how to play, yes? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I know how to yeah, play. Yeah. And, and my, okay. uh, my 12-year-old actually has been playing a lot recently. Um, and I can still beat him, just but just barely, right? It's getting to the point where, like, he has to mess something up at the end for uh, for me to win. But so far, he always messes something up. So like, we, can, we can kind of keep on that streak. But it's, like, really close. Does he play on chess, chess.com or what does he play He plays on, on chess.com, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Beautiful. He's, he's yeah. out there. Um, well, so uh, I'll challenge yeah. him to he'll probably kick my butt. I'll, I will challenge him. I, to I think a, that's great. We should we should arrange that. Um, but I will say that even I, who am not paying any attention to chess, have seen chess in the news recently because there's there's some kind of like cheating scandal. Yeah. So chess has been in the news and people who I know who don't follow chess at all, but know that I'm into chess have been asking me, you know, like what's going on? Like what is, what is Professor Holmes's interpretation of, of the chess scandal? So let me let me just tell you in a very like basic terms what what happened. There was this tournament in, in St. Louis 
uh, an in-person tournament, and it's called the Sinkfield Cup. And it's like one of the bigger tournaments, at least in the United States. It's not like, you know, the top, top, top players, like, you know, duking it out uh, for like the world championship. But it's, it's close. Like all the good people normally show up at this event. And Magnus Carlsen, who is, uh, some people consider him to be kind of the greatest chess player of all time. Like he's, he's far and away right now better than everybody else. It's not even close. Um, he's actually not even going to defend his title uh, the next time they have the world championships because it's, it's a little boring for him actually at this point because he's beating these people so easily. So he's the best player maybe ever. Uh, and he's, he dominates his competition. So he was there in St. Louis. And he got matched up with uh, this other chess player, a 19-year-old GM, Grandmaster, by the names of Hans Niemann. He's American, but he's got, you know, kind of a German, uh, maybe, was it German or Dutch? Whatever. He's, he's American. Uh, and they get, they get paired up. And Hans Niemann had the black pieces, and Magnus Carlsen had the white pieces. In chess, having the white pieces is a major advantage because you go first. And so if you look at like all chess games like play throughout history, I think white, you know, wins like 51 or 52% of them because it's just an advantage to be able to go first because black is always kind of reacting to what white does. Also, white has the ability to uh, kind of set the tone for the game. So, the, so white can be, you know, they can be aggressive or they can be more conservative and, and black kind of has to respond to that. It's much harder for the black, for the player with the black pieces to, to kind of control how the game goes. So you have the best player maybe ever with the white pieces, which is a huge, huge advantage. Hans Niemann comes in, and he was actually uh, kind of like a lucky loser in the sense that this other GM was supposed to be there. And he wasn't even going to be in this, in this cup, but he gets added at the last minute, and they get paired in this, in this game. And Hans Niemann, with the black pieces, wins. He beats Magnus Carlsen. And so the internet and, and the chess world and everybody kind of like blows up, because this is somewhat unheard of. It's not unheard of for players with the black pieces to draw, meaning to reach a position in the, in the chess game where both sides say, okay, no one's going to win this. We're going to agree to a draw or agree to some kind of stalemate or something like that. It's not unheard of for players with the black pieces to do that. But to outright win a game against the best ever with the black pieces is pretty rare. Was this big enough news that you got like a push alert on your phone? I got to push it. Yeah, exactly. I, the internet was blowing up. My Twitch, my, my Twitch feed, my Twitter feed, all, everything was on fire, right? This is like one of the most exciting things that's ever happened in chess. Okay, <laughs> so, so Magnus Carlsen loses. And the next day, I think it was the next day, or maybe it was later that day, he withdraws from the tournament. This is something that is never done. He, he, he didn't say like, okay, I lost and I'm going to continue to play because it's like a round robin type of thing. So he was slated to play a bunch of other players. He said, I lost this game and I'm out. I'm going to withdraw. And immediately everybody's like, what's going on here? Why would, why would he withdraw? And so the speculation began and the, and the intrigue began. And a lot of people were saying things like maybe, you know, somebody on Magnus's team leaked his opening preparation, meaning somebody on Magnus's team like told the Hans team, okay, this is what Magnus is going to play as white. And so Hans could like prepare or something like that. So everybody's kind of like thinking about scandal. And then later that day on Twitter, Magnus Carlsen tweets out basically this sort of like opaque, kind of vague, ambiguous, if you will, uh, a line about like, I know more than I can say, but I can't talk right now. And so immediately the sort of allegations of, of cheating come into play. And the idea basically that a lot of people have is Magnus thinks that uh, Hans Niemann didn't win this game fair and square, that somehow he's cheating. So can you explain to the to the little listener cuz I I know this obviously but maybe the listener does it. Yeah. How would how can you cheat at chess in a in a, like an in-person game? In an in-person game, 
it is difficult to cheat in chess, but not but not impossible. Let me give you one somewhat realistic scenario. These games, because they're high profile, are being replicated on the internet. So in other words, you can go on chess.com or you can go on a website called Lee Chess and kind of follow along with what the players are doing. So you know, Magnus makes a move and then you see what Hans did. You can like watch that. And so people actually will live stream their analysis of the match as it's ongoing. So precisely because it's being live streamed to the outside world, one of the things that's possible is to have somebody watching that and then with a computer, an engine, they call it a chess engine, which is basically the computer algorithm figuring out the best moves, that person has the ability to see what's going on in the game, use an engine to learn what the best moves are, and then communicate that to Hans or anybody who wants to cheat at the event. Now, how might one communicate with, with somebody at the event? Obviously, one could have planted a phone in the bathroom. Let's say this is kind of like the old school way of doing it. Back in the old days, they didn't have like iPhones and things like that. So you wouldn't have chess engines on your phone. These days, if you sneak an iPhone into the tournament headquarters, let's say you go a couple days before, you know, like it's like in The Godfather where they put the gun like in the, on the toilet or whatever. If you go and put a, put a phone in the bathroom of the, of the venue a week before, a couple days before and plant it there, then you will have access to that when you get up to, to go to the bathroom, let's say, which is allowed. But isn't it suspicious to go to the bathroom between every move? Actually not. Well, you, but see, okay, this is a very important point. At the GM level, at the Grandmaster level, they don't need, the advantage doesn't need to be every single move. If you give a Grandmaster one engine move in a, in a tricky spot, that is enough to win, to win a game. That's enough to even beat Magnus Carlsen, right? So the idea is not necessarily that Hans would be fed kind of every move, like, oh, go play this, go play that, go play this. But if he had any ability to get insight from a computer at any time during the, the game, this would be this would be an advantage to him. And that's because we've reached a point where computers now can beat anyone, including Magnus Carlsen, consistently. That's right. The, the computers are so good these days that it's, it's virtually impossible for a, a human being to beat a computer. So even Magnus Carlsen, there's a quote I saw the other day uh, from one of the GMs that studies you know, chess and cheating scandals and stuff like that. He said, my microwave can beat Magnus Carlsen. Like if I plugged in the algorithm into the computer that's in the microwave, yeah. it'll beat Magnus Carlsen. Because the, the, the way chess works, if you just think about it conceptually, there are so many different combinations. I, mean, I think it's like literally like trillions of different like combinations and moves that a computer can easily parse through, but the human brain is not going to be able, not gonna be able to do that. So computers can beat, can beat uh, humans very easily pretty much all the time. So if you have some ability to get that computer analysis in an over-the-board tournament, in a live tournament, then you're going to have a huge advantage. So, so one, one idea is that you go to the bathroom, you have a phone. The other idea is much sim more simple. There's, a, there's actually, I think it's in St. Louis where they have this event. There's like a, an outside area where people can go outside and get like a fresh air break or whatever. And that's, out, that's across from a parking lot. And if you had somebody in a car on their phone going through what's going on in the game and then signaling from the car, like in the, the windshield, what the next move should be or whatever, then Hans or anybody else could see potentially what, what that is. Or banging on a trash can, Houston Astros Banging on a trash can, can whatever. Yeah. There are other uh, more, more sophisticated ways, ways of doing this. There are actually like receivers now that are so small and made out of plastics that the, the, like the wands and stuff that they use for security when players go into these chess tournaments are like the airport security types of things, right? They're like, if you're, if you're carrying a gun into the chess game to like use the gun to cheat, it's going to catch that. But it's not necessarily going to catch one of these like high profile, not high profile, low profile plastic pieces that's transmitting uh, the moves to, to you, right? 
Other people said there's actually ways to have little transmitting devices that are like Morse code, essentially, that you're getting signals like through Morse code. So, so there's, there's lots of different ways to, to theoretically do it. I think it's, it's hard to cheat, though, in, in an over-the-board tournament because you do have to go to some, some length to, to accomplish it. It's been done a lot throughout history, so there's definitely a, 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 a sort of like this precedence for this, but I do think that it's, it's kind of difficult to do. Magnus Carlsen, however, clearly thought that Hans Niemann was cheating. And after the scandal kind of gets going and people are like, well, Magnus, you need, to, you need to have some evidence. You need to like show us something. It's just at the moment, it just kind of seems like you're a sore loser, right? You lost. And so therefore, you know, you're, you're saying that this guy, this guy cheated. What is the evidence? What do you have? At this point, Magnus Carlsen says, I think that Hans cheated. And I think he cheats a lot more than he has admitted to in the past. Well, what has he admitted to in the past? They had an interview with Hans Niemann where he said when he was younger, like 12, 13, 14, something like that, he admits to cheating in online chess. He admits to cheating on chess.com. And the reason he said is that he wanted to get to a particular level on chess.com to get better competition. And so from time to time, very limited number of games, like once or twice, he cheated using a computer in online chess. We should say that the cheating in online chess is, is significantly easier because you just open another window that has your, your chess engine running and you can just get an answer that way. So uh, yes and no. So yes, it is much easier, but chess.com is also sophisticated and, and their, uh, their cookies and their website can actually track if you have other windows open on the computer. So you can do it, but the way that most people do it if they're going to cheat is they use a second device. So I, I can be cheating on my computer and have my phone here and just typing in, the, or I can have a friend doing the same thing on another computer. But the, the key is to use another computer because if chess.com can, can catch you opening up a new tab or going to a different website, they're going to piece it together that you're cheating. The, the, the cheating detection methodology that chess.com has is actually more about statistics and probabilities. So what they do is they match up what the moves that you're making as an as a alleged human being to what the computer says are the best moves. And if it turns out that Marcus is on chess.com playing moves that a computer would make most of the time, and I do that consistently, I'm probably cheating, right? So the, the detection is sort of about this probabilistic kind of thing where, you know, it's unlikely. I might have a, the game of my life where I, where I, you know, do very accurate moves over the course of like one game or maybe two games. But if I'm doing that consistent, consistently, it's, it's highly improbable that I'm not getting some, some type of help. So they have you know, their, their detection kind of abilities that, that go to you know, new tabs and stuff like that. But most of it is, is based on just the statistical probability that I would not be able to play as well as I'm playing uh, without some type, of, some type of help. So now Hans Niemann says, I cheated once or twice online. Sorry, guys. I, I'm sorry. I haven't done it since. I'm, 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 I've given that part of my life up. I'm, everything now that I do is completely up board, above board. And furthermore, you also don't have any evidence that I've cheated above the board. Yeah, okay, I cheated in some meaningless online games, but I don't cheat over the board in like a, a live tournament. That's real stuff. I take that seriously. This online stuff, this is just fun and games. So chess.com now does a deep dive, an investigation. They go through all the data. They look at all of Hans's games. And they published a 75-page report that came out yesterday or the day before. And they leaked it to the Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal wrote an article about this. And using the, 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 the cheating detection analysis that Chess.com does, they have argued that Hans Niemann likely has cheated in hundreds of online games 
over the years, including games that are were for money. So games that were held online, taking place online, held for money, he cheated. And so now we're in this very tricky situation where Hans clearly has cheated in the past. I'll get back to that in a second. It might not be so clear, but Hans is alleged to have cheated in the past. Hans has said, you know what? I did cheat in the past, but not that much. And now Chess.com is saying you actually cheated a lot more than you say. Magnus, on the mean, in meanwhile, is basically insinuating that he cheated up above the board or over the board in, in St. Louis. So it's a very messy situation. The reason I say clearly is because at the end of the day, if you think about like what the statistics of all this mean and the, what the probabilities mean, we're talking about realms of likelihood. What Chess.com is basically saying is that it is highly unlikely, highly improbable that in these hundreds of games, Hans performed the way that he did. It's not impossible. It's possible. But it's highly unlikely. The probability is that he most likely cheated. But they don't have evidence in the sense of like a video, like watching him type into his phone as he plays. They don't have any sort of screen capture, anything like that, which would be kind of like hard evidence, caught in the act type of stuff. The evidence is very much kind of kind of probabilistic. Once that report comes out and chess.com says Hans is this big cheater, FIDE, which is the the International Federation of Chess, has said we are going to launch our own investigation that's going to look at Hans, his online cheating, which they actually don't care that much about, but much more about the -the over-the-board live person cheating. And so FIDE has committed to doing this uh, uh, study, this analysis, to see if they can figure out whether or not it's likely that Hans is also cheating uh, above the board or whether his cheating is limited uh, to to chess.com. So I think one of the interesting aspects of this is that we get into these sort of like philosophical kind of problems where you have an admitted cheater, you have somebody who cheated more than he admitted to doing, but it's relegated at the moment to this online world, which a lot of people would say, yeah, it's bad, but it's clearly not as bad as cheating above the board where, you know, this is like there's real prize money and stuff like that. And like, this is like where the, 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 all the chess, like championship stuff that all takes place above the board. Online chess is, is much more of a, of a kind of game in the sort of like video game type of sense. And so there's a sense in which, you know, cheating online is not necessarily the same thing as cheating over the board. But clearly, Magnus still believes that Hans did something in that, in that game in St. Louis. And he is, he's not produced any evidence that Hans cheated uh, over the board. He hasn't produced any evidence of, of, of anything, really. Chess.com has produced evidence. It's, it's, it's very interesting to see where things go from here. So one thing that's kind of interesting to me about this is like, just looking at the Wall Street Journal report on it. One of the things that Magnus said that I thought was really interesting was that he got the sense that Hans was cheating because he didn't seem uh, as focused. He seemed calm in a, in a way that, that Magnus is not used to his opponent seeming when they're playing him. He was not freaked out about the game the way that Magnus expected. And I thought this is just a, a fascinating kind of uh, intuition from someone who plays, you know, hundreds or thousands of these these matches and just knows what his opponents are supposed to seem like when they're playing someone like him. And he goes up against this guy who doesn't seem to care, but is is making these moves that are very advanced or, or uh, you know, the kind of move that a computer would make. And I thought this, you know, not to push this back to international diplomacy or anything, 
But I, I thought this goes a little bit to your favorite thing, which is face-to-face -face interaction and how that kind of changes the way we view our adversary, whoever's sitting across the table. This is the kind of an impression that you can't get from an online match, right? This is, this is the kind of thing that requires you to be right in front of the person and kind of looking deep into their soul um, to, to kind of understand what's going on on the other side of the table. I wonder if you see parallels there to, to the work that you do in face-to-face in -face diplomacy. Oh, I definitely do. And I, and I thank you for bringing that up because that is, that is one thing I wanted to, to comment on. I take seriously Magnus Carlsen saying that something, something seemed off in that match. Because I think your, your, your intuition is right. Like, this is, this is an expert in playing chess. This is an expert in playing uh, strong players who are clearly, like, stressed out about the situation. I mean, one thing to remember is, like, chess is such a difficult game because you have to be so focused the entire time. And one little, like, just, like, split second of, like, losing focus can lose you the match. You can be in a match that takes, you know, four hours or five hours. And within that four or five hours, you can be completely focused the entire time and have one little slip up where you just happen to not notice this, this four-move sequence that the other guy sees. And you don't see it, and the game is over. Like that. Because the margins are so thin at this level. It's like one, one, one not even a mistake, but one slight inaccuracy. I, I can do this, but really this is a slightly better move can mean you win or lose the game. And so he's used to play, playing players who are like so focused and, and trying to figure out every single move. And it requires every bit of attention and, and analysis and, and energy that they have. So that when he sees another player not have to do that against him in particular, that is striking. That is striking. And if you watch, to, to his point, if you watch people play Magnus and you watch Magnus play, when they, are, when they are playing a game that's for real, I mean, they are so, like, nothing is phasing them. I mean, they are looking right at the board, just staring, contemplating. And the video that we've seen of Hans when he was, when, you know, at this event, he's very, like, kind of loosey-goosey, right? It's not great evidence that he was cheating, but it's evidence that something was kind of up. One of the things that uh, some people who, who don't like Magnus, who don't believe the Magnus story, they think Magnus is kind of a sore loser. One of the things they've pointed out is that, you know, Magnus might be seeing things a little bit. There has been a, a insinuation about Hans being a cheater for a long time. I think a lot of, of GMs kind of have thought that Hans has, has cheated in the past, and they, they think that he's a cheater. And so one might think if you, if you are going up against somebody and you think in the back of your head, maybe this person is, is cheating, that could also throw you off. So your impressions of what's going on with the other side might be affected by the fact that you think this guy's a cheater. If I walk into the room and I think somebody's, you know, going to cheat, that's probably going to color the way that I, I see what they're doing. And so one of the things that might be happening is that Magnus might be kind of psyching himself out and thinking about, uh, about what's going on in this, in this particular interaction. The other piece of evidence, though, that we haven't talked about yet, which I think is interesting, is after these matches, they do interviews about how the match went. And during that interview, the, the GM who was interviewing Hans was going through some of the moves and asking him, like, why did, you, why did you make this move? And Hans was actually having a very difficult time explaining his rationale for those moves. Now, if you're the one that came up with the moves, you, you, you're likely to say, oh, here, here's why I did that, because I saw he was going to do this, and I did that, blah, blah, blah. He didn't really know <laughs> the reason, or he couldn't articulate the reason why some of these moves were made, 
which again kind of fuels the flame of like he didn't come up with the moves the computer did that's the reason he can't explain to you why they work because he doesn't even know the computer's saying what's going on right so that didn't help hans at all his inability to explain but again none of this is like smoking gun evidence the fact that magnus is he's got some impression the fact that hans can't is a bad interviewer right like none of this stuff by itself kind of kind of means a whole lot the last thing that's important is other gms have looked at the game and one of the things that they point out is that the moves that Hans was making are not all that crazy. It's not like there's like these like mind blowing, like only a computer, you know, could come up with them. The moves are actually pretty, pretty normal. And, and Magnus's moves were not all that great. So it's, it's entirely possible Magnus just woke up on the wrong side of the bed that morning, had a bad day, got, got his, his butt kicked in a game. Yeah, it's rare, but like it's not inconceivable. And then Hans had a good day. And maybe the reason he wasn't all that worried about it is because he knew he was having a good day. And he's like, he was feeling it, you know? He's like, he's, he's just doing his thing, and he's not worried. So I think there's lots of different things that are going on here. Uh, the evidence is very thin on, on this sort of, like, you know, circumstantial side. The best evidence, I think, comes from the statistical analysis, which says that he probably cheated in the past online. But that doesn't mean he cheated over the board. You know, that doesn't mean that that they necessarily ports over. And for the reasons we've discussed, it's a lot harder to shoot over the board than it is online. So the reason why I think part of the appeal of this story or, or why this story has gotten a lot of attention is people like intrigue. You know, people like like the idea of uh, cheating. And, and by the way, one of the things, Jeff, that I, I've become increasingly sort of like pessimistic about life uh has to do with it just seems like humanity will like find ways to cheat at basically anything and, and everything right it's like we get this is why we can't have good things right it's like we we people are just gonna cheat did you see the story about uh that came out last weekend that like these fishing competitions yeah I there were some like <laughs> they were putting like iron pellets in the, in the <laughs> oh man people are just gonna cheat is nothing sacred nothing sacred exactly what is going on here? It's like, why do we have to, why does humanity have to try to cheat at everything? You know, it's just, can we just have like one thing that's pure and people like, and because when I'm playing online now, you know, I'm always thinking to myself this, like if I lose, I'm like, this guy's probably cheating. You know, this guy's probably sitting there with an iPad, like looking up the, it's like, I, I have no way of knowing like whether that person is or isn't, but like, it just, it's ruins things when you think that, that people aren't doing it you know, kind of above the board. And they're not just like all playing by the same rules. It's very, it's very frustrating. So I think this story um, has gained traction because of the personalities, but also because I think it speaks to like these like broader kind of things going on, you know, with, with our, 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 this is going to sound very sort of like philosophical, but like the, 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 our, the, our human nature, right? That, that every time something like this happens, it's like, you just have to reflect about how, how miserable we are as people that we would cheat in a game. And I know there's lots of money involved, and I know that there's prestige and there's social things, but like we can't even have a game where we just we just agree not to not to cheat. It's very it's very sad. The other thing, the other piece of this, from an international <laughs> politics perspective, that I do Thank think you. is worth kind of kind of thinking about the the organization that oversees chess, FIDE, this sort of French it's a French name, but they basically at the International Federation of Chess. A lot of people have argued over the years has been um kind of co-opted by russia and what what they essentially mean is that the, russia has had kind of control over this organization because the, the president of the of the organization has historically over the last like three decades been been russian 
And they've had like strong ties to Putin and, and all that kind of stuff. So one of the interesting dynamics here is whether FIDE, when they have this, this big study that they're going to do, is going to be political in nature, or are they going to be able to sort of set aside everything that's going on in the world, specifically Russia, Ukraine, Western opposition to all that, Hans is an American. You know, it's, it, there's some dynamics here that need to be, be sorted out. If there are allegations that FIDE is, is, a, is a somewhat corrupt organization that's controlled by the Russians, and, and if FIDE wants to sort of get out of that insinuation and be more objective, this is a perfect opportunity to do that. On the other hand, if they decide that, you know, this is a perfect opportunity to basically have this American be somebody who we're going to kind of use as a scapegoat or we're going to show is, is, you know, not so much uh, 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 on the level, you know, is a cheater, all that kind of stuff, they can come down very harshly on Han. So one of the things that I'm kind of looking at is to what extent we can, we can see any type of, like, international politics at play in the way that FIDE addresses this, uh, this problem. The other thing that happened with Russia, of course, is that a lot of the grandmasters um, decided, I'm not, I'm not up for this Ukraine you know, situation, right? And so they, they left the country, they spoke out. We saw this across the board in lots of different uh, sports and celebrities and high-profile Russians. But, but the, the Russian grandmasters are, are not happy about, are largely not happy what's going on in Ukraine. And so this is also a very dicey kind of situation for, for both Russia, but also FIDE, because they, they can't be viewed, I don't think, as being overly political when they do this study. So that, this is going to be read by, you know, potentially millions of people. And I think it could have ramifications uh, if they're viewed as being too political in the way that they're thinking about Hans. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, this seems like maybe the, the least important side effect of the Russia-Ukraine conflict that, that I can think of. But, I, you know, I like your efforts to to try to tie that in. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's clearly, you know, uh, when, we, when we think about war and we think about chess, we're talking about uh, uh, a, a real-life tragedy and a game at the end of the day, right? And so obviously we can't, we can't in, inflate the importance of, of chess. But I do think it's kind of interesting how the Russian-Ukraine uh, war has kind of infiltrated lots of areas of social life that we wouldn't necessarily think would have would have been infiltrated uh, before before it happened. I wouldn't have predicted, by the way, that you know chess and FIDE would have been affected by uh, the Russian invasion, and it clearly has. And so yeah. it has kind of permeated lots of different aspects of our lives. You, you, you kind of dispensed with my face-to-face -face diplomacy tie-in very quickly. No, I, I didn't mean to do that. I think it's, I think it's a valid uh, – I take it seriously. I do take it seriously. I think that Magnus um, – I trust when Magnus thinks that something was off, I trust that he firmly believes that. Now, I don't know what that necessarily is evidence of. I think there's lots of reasons why he might have a particular impression. But I do take that seriously. A lot of people have brushed that off. They say, who cares what – what Magnus thing? That's totally, totally irrelevant to anything. What what sort of vibe he's getting from from Hans? I I I don't agree with that. I think it's very important. But I think the more interesting thing is kind of figuring out what psychological mechanisms might be at play in making him have that impression. Is he picking up on something that is real that Hans is actually cheating? And maybe Fide is going to be able to tell us. Yeah, we found something that in St. Louis that indicates a piece of physical evidence that indicates that he was cheating. Or we talked to somebody who fessed up and said that they know that Hans did cheat, and this is how they did it. You know, if, if we do find that out, then I think that will corroborate Magnus's impression that something was going on that day. And then you combine it with the poor interview that he gave, and it's, it starts to 
we could tr- triangulate the pieces of the pieces of evidence. Yeah, I mean, these impressions, though, are, are not his impression is worth something. But it there are plenty of examples of people's face to face impressions being wrong. Right. Or, exactly. you know, not the whole story. And, you know, I always yeah. think whenever I'm talking about uh, chess, I'm always thinking about uh, George W. Bush looking deep into the eyes of Vladimir Putin and seeing into his soul and knowing that this was someone that he could trust as a yeah. partner to the United States. Right. Yeah, and, and actually, Biden made the same mistake in Geneva uh, last year when they had that that summit. He he talked basically in the press conference pretty favorably about about Putin. You know, it wasn't it, he didn't come out of that saying like, "Oh, this guy's like, you know, terrible. He's going to invade Ukraine." He was he was saying you know, like, "This is this is somebody who's not not necessarily somebody I can't work with." You know, so he didn't get it as wrong as, as George W. Bush. Did, yeah, I'm was, not a pushback on that. I mean, I, I think that he saw you know the 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 exchange with Biden. Biden's comments after suggested this is a adversary of the United States with whom we had a frank exchange of views. Yeah. Right. That it's not like, um, you know, we're, we're going to be friends and partners into the future. That that was not the impression that I got from Biden's uh, reaction to the to those discussions. Right. We had a frank exchange of views. But I, I you know, there's a couple lines in that press conference where he talks about like the the value of having personal relationships and trying to cultivate them. And so I I read from that that he was more optimistic about the ability to work with Putin. You know, as not as a as an ally, but as somebody like okay, we're competitors, but at least I can I can you know kind of work with this guy. That's the way I read it. But I, you know, I think we're close on this. Um, and then George W. Bush obviously got it wrong, but. The point is, is that these impressions, regardless of whether they're right or wrong, clearly affect the decision making of the person. Like, so if if it's true that Magnus had this impression of Hans and he said to himself, like, why is this guy not? He's cheating. That's going to have a psychological effect on him. And so maybe one of the reasons why Magnus played so poorly relative to his standards was that he had psyched himself out precisely because of that impression that he had. That's what I would say. Yeah, no, that's that's an interesting story. Uh, I'm going to be. This will be my one thing about chess I can pay attention to and over the next little bit and see how things things come down. It's also interesting in that chess is often used as a metaphor, you know, for international politics. Like there's how many books on international relations have you seen with the covers like chess pieces? I got like, like five like, right here on my yeah, desk. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Strategy and you yeah. got the king, you gotta protect the king and this and that. You know, and here we have like the 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 literal interpretation of like you know chess going on in the international system amidst war intrigue with fide cheating scandals the soviet union cold war like legacy bobby fisher beating them you know by the way back then the soviets they, they, so bobby fisher let's just, very quick on this and then, and then we can then we can stop I, I i i'm belaboring the chess story i know i apologize for people that hate chess it, it, bear with me bobby fisher in in uh, uh, the 1960s, like one of the, the best you know chess players ever, played a bunch of games against the Soviets, right? The Soviets, like I said before, like this is like their thing. Like they they take pride in their ability to play chess. And so when when Fisher like eventually beat them, that was a big deal. But one of the things that Fisher alleged was that the Soviet top players were were drawing their other games with other people in order to save their energy and mental you know sort of like uh, acuity. For when they when they played Fisher, right? So in other words, like the, the Soviets were like, we, we need to do as little as 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 we can to get to the point where we could play Fisher, and then we're going to go all in in our in our Fisher. 
And so at the time, people were like, that sounds ridiculous. Like, I doubt that that's happening. That's not, that would be cheating. They're not, they're not doing that. And it turns out the Soviets later admitted that they, that's exactly what they were doing. That basically they were, they were trying to conserve as much energy to be able to beat Bobby Fischer because that was the prize. This is the Cold War. You want to beat the American, you know? You don't care about beating these other, like, Soviet players or these, you know, players from, from other countries. You want to beat the American. And so they said, let's save our energy and, and try to beat Fisher that way. Whether that's cheating, whether that's gamesmanship, I mean, you know, you can sort of debate that. But the, the, the head of the Soviet team later admitted that was, the, that was the strategy. That's interesting. All right. I would say this was, this was a very unique episode, uh, Jeff. We covered a lot of territory. I, hopefully the audience learned something. Hopefully we didn't lose most of our listeners. That's always a problem. I mean, that, that's, that can be said basically for any episode. You know, there's a big uh, Ukrainian counteroffensive. They're making, they're, they're, um, making great progress in the Kherson region. I did see that. And, uh, you know, Russian threats of nuclear use. We're, we're worried about that. We'll, we'll talk about that in all another time. You know. We'll talk about that in the next episode. Uh, thanks so much, Marcus. Let me just remind everyone, if you want more of this great chess content, or if you want to warn us off future um, a podcast just about board games, then uh, leave us a message at www.speakpipe.com. We always like going to the audience. Yep. Speakpipe.com slash Cheap Talk. And we'll put you on the air or not, but at least we'll take your input uh, seriously. So, so let us know what you'd like, uh, what you'd like to hear on the podcast. Um, Marcus, this has been... Interesting. Thanks so much yes, for. <laughs> I've, I've enjoyed talking chess with you today. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's good to talk chess. Um, and I appreciate it. We'll, we'll see you next time. Take it easy. You want to play? You want, should we play a couple games and we can record this and, and <laughs> post it as an appendix? Are you, now, you used to play like, like speed chess, right? Is that, that's what you've been doing? Or are you, are you playing real games these days? So, what I do, so, so, so there's lots of different ways you can play chess. Uh, both online and, and over the board. Um, online, the most popular way of playing chess is called Blitz, where each player gets three minutes on the clock. And so you have three minutes to make your moves. And when you only have three minutes, part of the game is like trying to win and checkmate the other person. But also part of it is to try to do it quickly so you don't run out of time. Because if you run out of time first, you lose. So like there's a strategy involved in sort of like making it harder for your player, for the, for your opponent to like make their moves uh, in a, in a timely fashion so that they would, you know, they'll run out of, of, of time before you do. So that's a, that's a classic kind of way, way of playing online three minutes. What I like to play are the super crazy one minute games called bullet. And in one minute you get one minute, I get one minute and we have to make all of our moves in, in that amount of time. It turns out I'm really good at bullet, not because I see things like I, I don't, I don't see anything, but I can move my mouse like really quick. I have a good mouse. <laughs> <laughs> and I can move my like you know my mouse quickly. You have a good and refresh so, rate on your monitor. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> I'm actually I'm thinking of buying an apartment near the Chess.com servers <laughs> so I can be like closer to and like. But but I am I'm just for whatever reason like I'm very good at making fast and you can pre move in chess. So pre move is like I make a move before I know what your next move is going to be. So I'm like anticipating what you're going to do and I make a pre move and that only takes on Chess.com point one second. So if you pre-move like five or six moves, you can you can do five moves in 0.5 seconds where the other person is taking maybe like a couple seconds per move. That's a huge advantage. Now, obviously, if you're pre-moving in a stupid way, you might get checkmated and you might lose or whatever. But I, for whatever reason, have figured out the kind of right combination of fast clicking, fast mousing, and then fast pre-moving in a way that allows me to win. 
But the hilarious thing is, it doesn't mean I'm good at chess. I actually, like, stink at chess. I'm just good at, like, playing on my mouse. But it counts. It's like, that's that's part of the game. You got you to gotta be able to click your mouse quickly in online chess, you know? Also, I like the bullet uh, way of playing because I think it's harder to cheat. Like, if I only have one minute and I'm sitting here, like, looking at what you do, like, trying to, like, figure, that's not going to work. So I think it's harder to cheat when you only have a minute. Uh, and so, therefore, I like to play that because I don't want to go up against cheaters. Like, I, I want to play human beings. I don't want to play computers. You know what I'm saying? The other great thing about online chess is, and this is, this is a little inside baseball for those listening. Uh, this is about academic type stuff. When you have, like, academic meetings and you're on Zoom and they're boring, you can play chess in the background and no one knows. Right? And I actually find that when I'm playing, when I'm in a meeting but, but I'm playing chess at the same time, I can do I can do both. Like my my interaction with the chessboard is sort of like automatic and intuitive, and then I'm using my other part of like my thinking. You know, it's like Daniel Kahneman's like System One, System Two. Sure. My System One is playing chess. My System Two is listening to what's going on in this meeting, and so I can do both. But I can only do that because we're we're on a Zoom call. We're, we're you know no one's seeing what I'm doing. But I to me it actually works, and I I would venture to say I'm more productive uh, in meetings where I'm playing chess than when I'm not. Yeah, and then at the same time you're texting your text chain about the what the yeah, going on in the meeting. Yeah, and people about what's you going know, on in the yeah, meeting. It's, it's, and uh, they have little side conversations. You have the Zoom chat. You know, oftentimes chat is blowing up. You know, lots of different modalities uh, for participating in a meeting these days. But I think chess. I think chess helps. And so I'm not saying if you're a student in my class, you should be playing chess while you listen to my my lecture. Although that's the implication, I think. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah I don't have a problem with that. But you know, it's for me anyway. It, it's a it's a use as a different part of the brain, and so I can do uh, two things at once. 